Disclaimer. All views expressed on this podcast represent the host and his guest, and not the companies or agencies they are associated with. Welcome to Tony's Game Lounge, a weekly podcast that covers gaming news, upcoming releases, and topics from all aspects in the gaming industry. Kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Tony's Game Lounge. I'm your host, Tony Erickson, and joining me this week, uh, another another, fr- another online friend from good old Emerald's chat room. Uh, it's probably one of the biggest Dan Gan Persona fans I know, Ponage. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good, how are you? I've um, been doing good. Happy nice. that I'm finally starting my um, spring break, actually. Oh, that's always good. I haven't had a spring break in a year. Officially, no more spring breaks for me. Yeah, I'm probably on one of my last ones as well. (laughs) Yep. Gotta enjoy them while they last. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Um, So, since you're brand new uh, here, we're going to start off with a game that I call The Archive. Where we get to know you a bit better, the audience gets to know know you. So you're gonna give us your favorite video game, your favorite video game character, and your favorite video game soundtrack. Okay, so I guess I could start with my game, and that would be Tales of Symphonia. Um, the reason for this is that like it's actually basically my first JRPG, and when I first played it, I played it with my cousins, so it actually holds a, like a really special place in my heart and I don't know it's always been my favorite ever since as for my game character I'd say uh, Cynthia from Pokemon Diamonds Pearl and Platinum I don't know I still have a lot of memories back from fighting her and all the frustration that went in my like seven eight year old head about not being able to beat her back then. I, I know that feeling well because i experienced that exact same pain yeah they i believe they made the fight easier on platinum and for my ost it would have to be um xenoblade 2 which i do believe torp mentioned xenoblade 1 so i'm mentioning the second game yeah i've still yet to play a xenoblade game uh, I think I explained it back in, when Torp was on the podcast, but it's just I watched Chega Conway play through the first one to see if I could how I feel about like picking it up myself, and I just I don't care for the combat system and how it looks. It doesn't pertain yeah, I mean, to my pique my interest that much. I, I could understand that it's kind of complex, but at the same time, I do believe they have changed it like quite a lot in between the games, so X has quite a different system, and so does too. So maybe you could try and see if those are interesting. Either way, like, I do understand why a lot of people don't like them, but the soundtracks are really good. Oh yeah, um, hands down, they are probably some of the best JRPG, JRPG video game in, video game soundtracks in general. Yeah, honestly, it, like, it helps a lot that Mitsuda, or I can't remember actually the correct name, um, but he made like the sa- the soundtracks for other games such as Chrono Trigger. So oh, I I don't know the yeah. name precisely. I know that for Xenoblade X, uh, Hir- Sawano Hiroyuki had a part to play in that one. Yeah, but that's really about did. it. Um, but yeah, that's they're great games. Uh, 
and uh, we're gonna jump into our first uh, first small topic over in the startup screen, which is uh, game testing. Um, and you have a story about game testing that I that you told me before the podcast started. So why don't you hit me with that first? Yeah, sure. So basically, um, back like a couple of years ago, my cousins, which don't really focus on programming, they're more like art majors, but they're really into the game jams and all of that stuff. So for a lot of their game jams, they've made games. And after that, they might like publish them or at least like try to get them out more. So whenever they would do that, I would actually end up being the tester for the games. Like I remember like how they would just come and, hey, I made a new game. Want to like try it out, see what you think. Maybe you could try and find any glitch or bug that might be there. It's actually kind of interesting. Like it's different every time since they might ask you for different stuff. Like as I mentioned, maybe you, what they want you to test is like, hey, is the gameplay good? Can you move correctly? Is it working like it should? Like, is it fun? But maybe they could, I don't know, instead of that, tell you like, hey, um, so there's this area. We want to see if there's a bug here. So you basically just run into a wall over and over or try to move in the same spot over and over, trying to see if like maybe you can break something. And it's interesting. <laughs> yes. Hey, hey, just run to this wall repeatedly until it breaks. And then when it does, let us know how many tries it took. <laughs> hey, it, it, it works. Like, it, it, we, we know it quite well watching Sonic Adventure. I mean, yeah, very true. Yeah. <laughs> very true. So these are like stages of the game that are like like pre-alpha stuff, I'm assuming, correct? Or like um, Actually, it's different like some of it is pre-alpha some of it happens a bit later into its life like i don't know how to explain it but basically even in beta there's still a lot of the game to like polish so you still need to test that kind of stuff and any may any minor change can still break the game like quite a lot so you need to be careful about it yeah i can i, I can believe that uh, i haven't done much game testing myself um, I think I've played two. I played in two game betas that I re- I remember the most, and that's like the extent of like my game testing. If you count like er- early beta access for those types of games and giving feedback, uh, the first I mean, one it still helps. It does. Uh, the first one was the crew, the first crew game, where you play as Adam Levine's lookalike. And you race cars across America. <laughs> and uh, I played maybe 20 minutes of it before I put it down. It was like, it's a game. It's I don't mind it, but like I don't see myself playing this more. Uh, and then the second beta I was a part of was back when I was hugely into the Destiny franchise. And it was the Destiny 2 beta. Where you got to play through the first mission of the game. And then multiplayer mode. And I think there was a strike as well that you got to play through. And that was it. And that's like my extensive beta testing uh, that I've done as a gamer. Well, I mean, it, it still helps them a lot. Like, I, I'm not quite sure how much of the um, comments the Destiny devs took, but I do remember them f- fixing quite a lot of things. Yeah, it's uh, if if we were if we had our Destiny Insider Jackson on this episode, I'm sure he would tell us otherwise. 
Uh, but because <laughs> he complains about that game so much, and it's uh, always a blast to have him on and complaining about Destiny. Um, but yeah, it's uh, definitely like I think that uh, it was it's it's it was such a different game at launch as well compared to what it is now as well. Yeah, Destiny has evolved a lot. Like I do remember the launch being kind of disappointing in a way to a couple of people, but then it kept getting better and. It actually ended up being a decent game, or like a really good game for a lot of them. Yeah, that, that yeah, Destiny One really had that, and then Destiny Two kind of was like riding its peak, the peak from Destiny One, and then just kind of dipped. Yeah, and that, that's when I fell off. One. Yeah, uh, and that's uh, that's uh, the startup. Uh, oh, wait, do I? Yeah, that's the startup screen, really. Uh, Game testing is really cool. Playing betas is always cool. And if you ever get a chance to like get into a beta, give good feedback to the devs. Like don't just say don't leave don't leave like a two-word comment of it good or it bad. Like actually be help as helpful as you can and with the uh descriptive language that the human race can do. The that release, was a sentence. At the release you could like try to mention points that could be working points like if if you see that maybe hey um the movement doesn't feel right at least mention that that will always help them a lot yeah absolutely um and with that we're going to jump in to what has happened this past week because this is the week in review the week in review a look back at the top headlines and stories from the world of gaming and this past week we had quite a couple of games come out uh, Story of Seasons, Pioneers of Olive Town came out. Uh, Ballad Wonderworld came out. The the Square Enix platformer featuring former game developers from the Sonic franchise. And uh, It Takes Two also came out. Um, as well as Monster Hunter Rise. That is also out currently. That has, I believe that dropped day of recording this podcast. Yeah, it it drop down today and i have a lot of people that are already trying to like grind it out yeah i've never gotten into the monster hunter franchise i have never touched one of those games i've heard a lot of great things about the series but i just do not have the time right now yeah. with how many games are in my backlog still same happens to me i don't really play them but i do know a lot of people that basically have been waiting and counting the days for it to release. Mm -hmm. And there's still another Monster Hunter game coming out later this year as well. Uh, yeah. With uh, Stories 2? I believe it's called that, but since most people are on the rise uh, hype, I think it's kind of forgotten for a bit. For a bit, until we see, until it gets closer to the release date again, then we're going to see more things pop up about it. And the the more story driven aspect of that game compared to the more hunts, find creatures, grind of the mainline Monster Hunter games. Yeah. Um, as for the news that this happened this past week, uh, starting off with some delays, Sega's Humankind has been delayed to August. A game that I do not know a lot about. I've seen the trailer on the YouTube gaming page for a lot. A long, long time, and I just haven't checked out that trailer for it. It looks interesting game, but it got delayed. I don't know when the original date was supposed to come out for it, but it's now coming out in August, unless it gets delayed again, of course. 
which if we've seen cyberpunk is a possibility <laughs> in the movie side of news sony is developing a ghost of tsushima movie with the director of john wick and that sounds really cool yeah i'm, I'm actually kind of excited for it though who knows what will happen maybe once it's closer we'll yes. have a better idea and i might be more excited about it but for now, it, it sounds like a cool idea. Yeah, with how the story for Ghost of Tsushima was amazing. The game was a phenomenal game to play through. Um, but we're also this. They're just starting to like. Uh, they've probably they just announced that like, oh yeah, it's in the works. So which means they're probably in the writing phase for the script and all of that pre-production yeah. stuff that goes into this type of project. Um, and more delayment news. Back for Blood has been delayed to October, which honestly is a bit more fitting for the game, in my opinion. Um, a zombie shooter game coming out closer to Halloween. Yeah, that's I like that a bit more than I don't know when it originally was going to come out, but I like that. Let it take its time, especially because this is a successor to Left for Dead. So don't fuck it up. <laughs> a lot of people love Left for Dead, so don't fuck it up men and women who are developing this game uh, a, uh, in horror news uh, Bokeh or Boca the ga a game studio which features the old developers of Silent Hill uh, they're teasing their new horror game project and uh, from the looks of it it's like a successor to Silent Hill which is Really cool. Never played a Silent Hill game myself. Never will because they're too spooky for me. Not, I'm not the biggest horror game, man. Yeah. They're really nice, but I can tell you that they're probably some of the scariest games. <laughs> yep. Uh, in the mobile scene, Rocket League has a mobile game coming out soon called Rocket League Sideswipe, where you can play two-dimensional Rocket League. It looks neat. It's going to be free to download, but uh, there's probably going to be microtransactions for cosmetics because mobile gaming. That's how it is. Um, in some DLC news, Hitman 3 will be adding a new DLC based off of the seven deadly sins of Agent 47's life. Xbox Live is being changed, getting a name change to Xbox Network sometime in the future. This does not change Xbox Live Gold, though, um, as that is still going to be known as Xbox Live Gold, uh, basically because uh, Xbox Live is on both PC and console. They're just changing it to network because that is basically... Live is the service that connects you to the internet for the Xbox series of things. So they figured changing the name would make it a lot easier, but as we know, Xbox with names can get confusing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, more Xbox news as well, or more of Microsoft. Uh, they're in talks to buy Discord. Yeah, that's some really big news, though. With how things have gone and with how they bought uh, Bethesda recently, who knows if they're going to be allowed to. Yeah. And uh, when my Microsoft gets a hold of something, they know how to ruin it. I mean... They do, but I also kind of trust them at the moment. They don't have quite the worst record right now, so they don't. maybe it could have go decently. I mean, like it's hard to ruin something like Discord. 
I mean, considering how Discord came into existence, I could I could say that there's a lot of ways to do it wrong. I mean, there's the curse one that used to be like Discord, and that's gone. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, at least let's just hope that uh, Discord, when if Microsoft buys them, because again, they're only in talks. So we don't know if they actually will or if Discord will accept it or not. Um. If Microsoft does buy Discord, let's hope it doesn't go the way of the Zune or Mixer. <laughs> yeah. Because those are, uh, for those wondering, what's a Zune? Google it. Yeah. Or sorry, Bing it, because Microsoft. Um, uh, Niantic is working with Nintendo for a new AR game themed around Pikmin. Which is neat. Um... Pikmin deserves a lot more love and more games, but they're like, yes, mainline Pikmin game? Nah, fam, AR Pikmin game. That's the new next. That's what's next. Um, so look forward to that sometime soon. Uh, Resident Evil Reverse, the multiplayer Resident Evil game where you play as the lovable casting characters in the Resident Evil universe. The beta's coming out in April. And again, that game does not look good. It looks, uh, it does not look good. So if you play the beta, let them know it doesn't look good because it's the trailer that they showed. Fuck. The tr- it, 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 it's... Uh. Uh, in Switchport news, Ruby, Grim Eclipse, remember that game? The <laughs> game based off of the popular Rooster Teeth franchise, Ruby, uh, which was basically a beat-em-up. Uh, well, that's coming to the Switch. With all the DLC, all the cosmetics, and all that stuff. So, if you like Ruby and you want to relive the first game that got developed for that for that series, go check it out. I've heard some good things about it, but it gets pretty stale after a while is also what I heard. Uh, we got a new trailer for Lord of the Rings Gollum, uh, showing us a little bit of gameplay footage for that as well. This would be the third modern Lord of the Rings game with the other two that I know of, with the other two being uh, the Shadow of Mordor and Shadow of War games. Um, so look forward to that if you're a Lord of the Rings fan. Um, and some stat statistic news. Uh, Genshin Impact uh, released some stats that every time they make and release a new character for a new banner, they make $12 million in a day. Yeah, I, I could see that every time they come up with a new character, basically Twitter, you know, Instagram, everything just gets flooded with new art for them. Oh yeah, it's crazy. Um, I stopped playing Genshin after a month because I think I dropped. Uh, was it? No, it wasn't even. I didn't drop a hundred this time. I dropped like forty bucks on the game, and I'm like, I need to stop before I get back into my gotcha rut because I, I'm bad with gotcha games, man. There, I, I, it's like I have to. I have to either quit it or invest everything into it. So it's like, yeah, no, I'm just gonna quit. I don't want to lose my money. Thank you. Yeah, I, I don't really play catches because of that, but I do know a lot of people that do, and yeah, it's kind of a deep hole. Oh yes. Um, and lastly, for the main news, Jackbox Eight has been confirmed for a fall release this year. Which is awesome. I love the Jackbox games, and I cannot wait to see what 
Jackbox 8 will feature. The seven Jackbox Party Pack 7 was was a great collection of games. Uh, probably one of my favorites in a long time. Um, so 8 just has so much to live up to, and I'm excited for that. Um, on to the draw of the deck, your TCG news for the week in Pokemon. KFC Indonesia is giving out 8 promo cards with a kid's meal. I'm honestly... I'm ready to see what what prices this end up being on the third market, like on eBay, and that it's gonna be a lot. Yeah, I don't know exactly what set they're from, or like what they are going to be, or I mean, I don't know, I don't know which specific Pokemon specifically they are. Um, but uh, you, we gotta love seeing the fast food industry embracing video games once again, no as we said uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, KFC in China is doing promotions with Genshin Impact, and Arby's just recently is doing some promotions with Shovel Knight for exclusive DLC cosmetics. So it's cool to see. So, Ponage, what do you think the next? What what fast food chain do you think will take on a video game toy next? I mean, without counting KFC, since they're already making a console, I guess I could see it being probably. Either McDonald's or, I don't know, um, maybe Arby's with how much they like this kind of stuff. Like, they're really trying to promote themselves in these areas. Like, I believe Arby's had the um, Nintendo level stuff early on on oh, the did? Switch's life. Um, did Arby's actually have Labo promotions with them? Yeah, oh, they, they I, I did like not. If they did, I need to actually look. I got to look this up, actually. Where did I put my phone? There it is. Let me. I gotta find out about this because if this is true, uh, that's crazy. Nintendo Labo. Oh right, they did the. Uh, they did the. Uh, they had a one of the, when they were doing cardboard cutouts and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, they, to promote like a bunch of different everything. things because I know that they did like a collab with JoJo's Bizarre Adventure on one thing, and yeah, okay, they did a they it was they were saying that Arby's did it first when Labo came out. That was funny. Um, honestly, I think Wendy's is next to step up to the bat because I don't think Burger King will ever get involved with video games again just because yeah, they're no. like they're like, hey, we were just we just released video games, we're done, we're good, we're we're cool. And people are like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so I think Wendy's will probably be the next one to like release like I don't know Pokemon cards or maybe not Pokemon cards because McDonald's has like them the Pokemon by the balls uh, with with in the U.S. for like releasing Pokemon cards because they've done it like twice or a couple times throughout the years. Yeah, I believe like in Japan and in the U.S. it's normally McDonald's. I do believe that here in Mexico actually Burger King has had it a bit of times, like four or five, but then again it always jumps around in here. Yeah. Um, so I, I would be surprised if Wendy's jumps on the train next. They are like of like the main burger fast food places. They're like the one that hasn't really done anything yet. So I would say I would say them. They would probably be the next ones because A is too focused on their grass fed burgers. And they they honestly like 
just focus on themselves. They're on their own little planet. Yeah, they don't really, they don't do much for toys. Um, in the Yu-Gi-Oh! world, Dawn of Majesty, the OCG set, is set for an April 17th release. Uh, new news is that they will be featuring a spirit card in the pack, which spirits have not had much support or new cards for them in a while. And uh, coming out in June on the 25th for the TCG, you'll have the King Court booster set, which features, um, I believe, the Arcana Knights, uh, King's Knight, Queen's Knight, and Jack's Knight, from what I remember looking at the card packs. So look forward to those. Uh, over in Magic the Gathering, the Strixhaven expansion will be arriving April 15th. Uh, very shortly, a bunch of new cards as well. If you have a mobile device, you can now play Magic the Gathering Arena on mobile. Finally, in the news department for Dice is Right in board game and tabletop news, the official Bomberman board game has been cancelled. Um, the prototypes that were in the works and the features have all been shared online so you can go see what it was that it was doing. And hey, maybe if you're smart enough and you like developing board games, maybe you can... P in feature it in a workshop for tabletop simulator and yeah that's uh <laughs> that's uh all that's this week in review uh moving on to the games that are coming out next week here is what should be on your radar from AAA titles to upcoming indies here's what should be on your radar Coming out on Monday, you have Neptunia Virtual Stars for the PC, Doom 3 VR Edition for the PlayStation VR, and Elite Dangerous Odyssey Alpha DLC for the PC, or the expansion, I guess. On Tuesday, Disco Elysium, the final cut, comes out on both PlayStations, the PC and Stadia. Evil Genius 2 World Domination, all of the kingdom... Eh, sorry... Evil Genius 2 World Domination to the PC. Every single Kingdom Hearts game will be on the Epic Game Store uh, for the PC. Uh, Narita Boy for Xbox One, PS4, Switch, and PC. I Saw Black Clouds for the Switch, PC, PS4, and Xbox One. On Wednesday, Drifters comes out for the PC, Xbox One, and PS4. The Binding of Isaac Repentance DLC comes out on the PC, and on Thursday, Outriders comes out on everything except the Switch. Uh, what do you think of the games list this week, Ponage? So for The Binding of Isaac, it's actually a game that I really played a lot. Like, I actually used to play the original, like, every single day, every single time, uh, like, break I had during school. But the one thing that killed the game, I think, for a lot of people was the second expansion for the new game. Um... So I hope that maybe this one can help it go back to what it used to be. Like, I remember the game being really big before that. So honestly, I hope it comes back to what it used to be. Nice. I I don't have much of an experience with Binding of Isaac. I got it for free back when I got my PlayStation because that was one of the games with Plus at the time. And I played it here and there, but I, that was really about it. I think I had one good run that I got to like the boss fight with your mother and that was really about it yeah so in my case like it's really fun like i could actually recommend it a lot but the dlc basically what ruined it is that a normal thing that was used a lot in the game was resetting the game since there's a lot of rng at the start so 
for some reason, they made it a punish that if you ever uh, restarted the game more than 12 times on your save file, basically there's like three types of held, which is like the normal hearts, the black hearts that whenever you lose them, there's like damage all over the screen and there's the blue hearts. And for some reason, if you did that, basically it would add like a new kind of blue heart that would just be half a blue heart. So it was just punishing you for playing the game how it should be played. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's uh, those are the games coming out that should be on your radar. Um, moving on, it's time to talk the main things for this week in the Game Lounge. This week in the Game Lounge, Tony covers a variety of topics with his weekly guest. And this week, uh, we got some pretty cool topics. And Ponage, why don't you start us off? Why don't you kick it off with our first topic? Yeah, so when I came here, um, I basically was thinking about ideas that would be original. And I thought about it. And at some point, it came to me that, well, I'm pretty sure that it hasn't been discussed about how video games are in Latin America. So basically, um, for those that you don't know, um, it, back when it all started, like there actually wasn't really any support for it. Like back then, if you had a game, it pretty much came from the US. So like you could probably find people that used to have any console or something like that, but there used to be nowhere to get them here. And honestly, you would pay a lot just to get them. And in that case, like back then, it was actually kind of normal to really just go to the US and buy stuff. So while it was an issue, um, it really helped a lot to introduce what was the video game market into here. So basically after that, um, you could say that there was a transition in what was video games here. I don't know how it was for Canada. Would like were they supported back in the NES days or pre-NES days? I believe they were, but I'm not. I I'm pretty sure they were. Like I'm pretty sure back in the day, Canada was very almost similar to what the U.S. was for like the old NES to N64 days. As my, my video game knowledge of like how it was for retailer doesn't really start until like the end of the N64 era to the start of the GameCube era, as that's when I was buying video or ha asking my parents to buy me video games. Um, so that's really where my knowledge comes in of like when we started. But ever since that, it's basically been the similar, if not the more expensive side than the U.S. as the Canadian dollar is not as good as the U.S. dollar, uh, whereas the standard U.S. game costs 50 to $60 at retail. A average Canadian one will cost somewhere from 80 to 90 currently. Um, what about for uh, Mexico, Ponage? What, what is, what's like the average price for you guys? For yeah, so game? I guess I could like divide it into three phases. Like, there's the NES, SNES, and and 64 era, like back then, um, when it first all started, there really wasn't any like video game stores. But back then, like in Mexico, we use what's called peso, and it's it was basically one dollar is ten pesos. So back then, games used to actually cost almost the same. Like they used to fluctuate between 
700 to 800 so well it was kind of like a bit more above the price it was actually quite fair considering we have a higher tax so back in those days it used to be almost the same then came like what was um um the playstation 1 the playstation 2 and the original xbox together with the gamecube when we're we were first starting to get game stores which in our case instead of having gamestop we have what's called game planet oh okay basically the prices were still kind of stable but they definitely went up a bit like they started getting towards the 900s range and that lasted probably all the way towards like uh, what was the xbox 360 like almost near the end of its life and in that era that's when steam started coming over here and back when that change happened is back when we actually got regional pricing on steam because back then we used to just buy the games on us dollars which i'm pretty sure is the same as basically almost all of the world like it when it all started it basically was the euro the pound and the us dollar and good luck paying for it you have to get the exchange rate yeah and then there's basically the third part so that comes closer towards now which is when basically the peso happened to go from what was almost uh, one for 10 to one for 20 which is almost around what we have here sometimes it's a bit more sometimes a bit less but the thing is that the price isn't really consistent it's not what you expect like as i said well we used to pay like 700 to 800 and then 900 back when it was 15 uh, pesos for per dollar right now it's about a thousand six hundred pesos which is basically like 80 dollars 80 usd so it's not really great however um, steam which for some reason i don't know what makes the big difference uh, actually sells the games for about 1,200, so it's actually quite a fair trans- uh, transition between the peso and the dollar in Steam, as well for Amazon. So it's much better for use for people in Mexico. I, it's uh, it's a lot cheaper to buy digitally than it is physically. Um, basically, like, I mean, I guess you could say, um. If you're playing on PC, you could actually get games at a reasonable price. If you're playing on console, you better hope that Amazon has a game like at a cheaper price because sometimes it's actually cheap, sometimes it's not quite as cheap. So it, it really comes down to sales and being at the mercy of Amazon at times. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I I know that in the U.S. a lot of people are like, yeah, I'm not going to buy on Amazon because it might get here late. Yeah. And over here, you're basically like, well, I mean, I could just wait and get the Amazon price and save like 300 pesos or I could just go to a store and play now. I guess people have to choose whether they want to play now or they want to save the money. Yeah, that's very much a big thing um one thing I, I, I don't know a lot about latin america and what's readily available like i only know that brazil recently just got the switch like a year or two ago um and so with mexico um like what 
games and stuff is like readily available at like Game Planet? Like, is it pretty much like a an EB Games or a GameStop equivalent? It's is that basically what Game Planet is a EB Games GameStop equivalent essentially? Yeah, it's pretty much like that. And actually, like the same applies before it. It used to be like you could only find the most common games because before it, it would only be sold like at the Sears and the um, whatever other department store there was in the US and our equivalent, which is called Liverpool. So back then, we could only get like what was the most common games. Then once Game Planet came out, we actually started getting a bit more of the rare games. Like, um, as an example, we didn't really ever get the limited editions, and now we actually get some of them. Yeah, that's... uh, Did you say Sears? Yep. Oh my god. Okay, so off topic for a brief second. I have not heard that name... I have not heard... I have. It's been a long time since I've heard Sears because Sears in Canada, they've shut down entirely. Oh yeah, no. Here, here it's the same, but like they were the one place where you could actually get them oh, back wow. in the day. That okay, back in Canada, you could not buy video games at Sears. That was that's a that's a big difference uh, regionally. That's really cool to know that. Um, for us, it was Ze- like Zellers or like uh, I, yeah, Zellers and Walmart, but Walmart still does, despite them not having like that much for selection nowadays. But like, oh yeah, like Walmart does here, but really Walmart didn't come to Mexico till like 2012, 2015, something like really? that. Really? Holy yeah. shit! I thought they, yeah, I like, thought Walmart would have been on that like a lot sooner. Yeah, no, actually here. Um, so like I know this is a bit of topic, but. We actually had um, HEB, which is like a superstore that's normal around Texas. We had that from a long time, and that's actually the one that's the biggest here. Oh, that's really interesting to know. Little fun facts. Fun facts about retail <laughs> on this gaming podcast. Um, so it, uh, so we have modern games figured out. Um, but what about retro games? And do any like retro game stores exist in Mexico, or is it mostly if you want to find retro games and retro game consoles, you gotta go online? So originally, it actually pretty much all the retro stuff was handled by Blockbuster, which is now well gone. <laughs> yeah. Um, but around like the what would it be? Um, the GameCube era, I guess. Um, so here in Mexico, there's like three major cities, which is um, Mexico City, um, Monterrey, and Guadalajara. And basically, in all three of those, there's like this market or like building in the center of the city. And basically, it's called uh, La Plaza de la Tecnología. And it's basically, um, to translate it, it would be... Um, the technologies uh, store, or basically something like that. And it's basically like this giant building with a bunch of little stores which sell different kinds of technology. And you actually have like some floors of that dedicated just to older video games. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, so you could actually find a lot of the rare stuff there, but seeing as some of it doesn't really ever come to Mexico, sometimes that can still be hard to find and usually sells out pretty quickly. And it's mostly in these bigger cities for Mexico as well. Uh, yeah, I, I do know that some minor cities have like those smaller stores, but they're 
usually just like whatever comes in is what we sell and good luck having anything <laughs> yeah so it's very 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 limited um kind of switching gears from availability to the language um where in mexico uh the the main language is spanish that uh you guys speak mostly um what is the what's the language barrier like for a lo most uh, more specifically the older video games as more as games have gotten more modern they're incorporating a bunch of like different languages as it goes on but like ba way back in the day what was what was the language barrier like yeah so it's actually kind of funny because um i was actually looking at my older game boxes like just to make like some waypoints about it and it's funny because like if I look at the games right now, um, some of them even have like uh, Spanish on the boxes, which actually wasn't really normal. Like in near the DS era and the GameCube era, even if you bought a game here in Mexico, you wouldn't really like you couldn't even read what it was about unless you knew English. However, even back then, like there's some really specific games like from the N64, I believe there's like two or three football games that for some reason they actually translated into Spanish so you could play those in Spanish even though like it was a smaller catalog I guess and as for understanding what was um, English in games it was kind of funny because I go back to myself back then and I, I don't even know how I played those games <laughs> like if, if I'm being honest I would just look at the text, be like, well, I have no idea what this is, and just mash A. And somehow I would, like, get through them. Wow. Um, so uh, with a majority of these video games also being English, um, did it help you understand the language any better or of English? And did it help or other languages that you might have switched it to as well? Well, so... In the case of English, actually, like, it's a really uh, big memory of me that back when I was um, in between second grade and third grade, and it was summer, I, for some reason, uh, decided to just outright watch a Minecraft Let's Play that was 200 plus episodes. And even though I actually couldn't really grasp the full idea at the beginning, through all of that, I actually started understanding the language so like by the end of third grade once i was done with it i actually started playing a lot of games with people from the u.s and that's how i actually learned english that's how i'm actually speaking the language right now and why it's not quite as broken as many of the people that live here in mexico yeah that's yeah you're that's yeah, it's really that's re it's really cool that video games have the power to that can ha can have a power to do that and to teach you stuff like that. Um, and another thing that uh, you're you're currently learning Japanese as well. So have video games kind of helped with that a bit, or has it mostly been on the very hard of studying the x amount of words every day? So actually, like about a month ago, you could say I started playing through uh, Pokemon Platinum in Japanese. Ooh. Um, 
I say play like in I can sort of play it since most of my time actually just goes to being able to read and seeing if I can understand what's being said. So it's actually funny because it's basically uh, Pokemon Diamond is what I started my like English gaming with. So in a way, um, it basically goes back to the same game, but now in a new language. <laughs> it, 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 it starts and ends with Pokemon. <laughs> Generation 4. Generation 4. So on, on a brief topic about Pokemon, actually, what are your thoughts on the Shining Diamond... Sorry, Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl remakes? Uh, well, in my case, I'm actually quite excited since I'd rather have like a more... Uh, closer to the original experience in my games. Like, I did enjoy what happened with, uh, what, how was it, um, Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire. Yeah. However, like, when it comes to Gen 7 for Pokemon, the games just, I don't know, I didn't really like them. So the same kind of happened for Gen 8, where, yeah, I finished the game, but it didn't really bring me back. So I'd rather have, like, the older stuff and have a game that's more similar to the original. Yeah, uh, I enjoyed Sword and Shield. I I think that it was all right. I was I've been, I've been enjoying the like more open concept of it, but again, I'm also very easy to please when it comes oh, to yeah, Pokemon. I, I'm the same, but I don't know. It's just that I have a lot of memories about Gen Four since it was my first gen. So yeah, same and same here. Like Gen Four was my first gen. I, when I picked up Di- Pokemon Diamond, I didn't know saving was a thing. Oh god, restarting every time. Uh, basically, uh, I didn't. It was. It wasn't until I went into uh, like one of the top floor Pokemon Center rooms that it's like saving your game, and then it, I came out and I turn off the game, turn it back on, and I'm there. I'm like, huh? This is weird. And yeah, I, I realized saving is a thing. I'm like, oh, so there's. I'm like, oh, now I understand. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It was like it was a it was a concept to my young brain. Um, yeah, I, I, I remember it a lot. I, I actually used to, like, since I had a lot of time in that game, at some point I do believe I started just, like, starting the game over from the beginning and seeing how far I could get just for fun. <laughs> it's it, That would be quite the challenge, quite the time. Yeah, I do miss being able to do that. Um, since we're on the topic of Pokemon, this is actually a great transition uh, over to our second topic, um, which is the evolution of JRPGs. Um, yeah, so... So I'll, um, I'll let you kick it off again, because... Uh, so as I mentioned before, um, right at the beginning, um, so my favorite JRPG, or, like, basically what's my favorite game would be um, Tales of Symphonia. Um, and it, as I mentioned there, it was basically my first JRPG um, back in... I don't even know how old I was, but back then I wasn't even in primary school and it was summer and basically my cousins came over to my grandma's house and I was there and we just played through it. Like, I can't remember exactly how long it took, but I do have really fun memories of just spending most of the summer doing it. I don't know. What was your experience with your first JRPG? Oh, God. So classifying a J... Uh... I think it's uh, what we should actually start off with is what divides a JRPG from a Western RPG? Well, I guess in 
my opinion, basically, as the name stands on partially being made in Japan and another part being, well, actually focusing on being an RPG, not, um, how can I say, you know, so basically there's games that have RPG elements, but don't really focus on being an RPG. So specifically, basically, if a game's made to be an RPG and then the division, whether it's Western or Japanese, mostly comes to where it's made and the other part to basically if they're trying to emulate the other style or if it's just trying to be what it's normally done in their side of the world. Okay. Um, in that case, um, I believe, I guess Pokemon would kind of be my first introduction to the JRPG side of things with how turn-based combat is and getting me introduced to that. Um, my first, like, I would say my first, like, real, real experience with JRPGs would be, honestly, Kingdom Hearts. Which Kingdom Hearts? The first one? The first one. Um, as I, I didn't play a lot of, like, JRPGs until, like, my more recent years like i played through like all the pokemon games like that was like the one rpg series i would play through like the most um as i played like a lot of shooters growing up and a lot of a couple puzzle games here and there and some action adventure platformer type games but i never really touched the rpg franchise until aside from like pokemon and stuff and so as i got older uh I eventually, I'm like, you know what? I, I want to play some R new RPGs. So I found a copy of Tales of Symphonia, played through that a little bit on my GameCube. Uh, I, I had not gotten far in Tales of Symphonia. Like, I think I just, like, from where I left off when I played that game, like, five years ago now, I want to say, uh, I was, like, just leaving the first area of the game. Yeah, so um, actually, I don't know if you uh, have heard about this, but Steam basically has added this thing called uh, Remote Play Together. Um, maybe you could try like playing it with other people through it, because it does it does change the experience a lot for that game. Yeah, because Tales of Symphonia, it's uh, you can have up to four player co op on that. Yeah, all the Tales of series games actually have it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've never, I have not dived into the Tales series much, so I do, I know very little about the Tales franchise. It's, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I guess you could say that its main selling point, after like the first couple games, which I do believe don't have multiplayer, basically, its main selling point is that you can actually play them with people. Yeah, uh, but yeah, like, yeah, like I said, I guess Pokemon would have been my first. JRPG that I ever played. Pokemon Coliseum, specifically. Oh, so one of the better games. Um, I guess you could say combat-wise. Yeah. Um, po um, Pokemon Coliseum, and then followed by, like, Pokemon XD. XD. I, I would say, like, I say Coliseum was my first one because I played, like, an hour of it as a kid and didn't know what to do. But like Pokemon Gale of Darkness, that was like I, I that's what I would say my first real one was, where I spent like I popped like maybe a hundred hours into that game. 
I've actually never played it, but I know it's like a really good game. It's, it's just that growing up, I actually never had a GameCube. Ah. I had an N64, even though like the current console was a GameCube. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so switching it up what, uh, from the first one that we've played, what was what's the most recent RPG that you've been that you've played? Um, so I guess I'll say like basically two. Um, so the one that I've been playing currently is uh, Wise Origins. Um, I got it last. Uh, what was it? Steam sale. So I've been basically trying to play through it. And the one that I'm gonna start playing tomorrow that I've been talking with Don about it's Omori which I hope I really enjoy and I hope I can get to finish it this week because it's basically when I have the free time to play. Yeah. Um, for myself, uh, the most recent RPG that I finished was Persona 5 Royal. Oh, that's nice, actually. It, oh, it's all... Oh, I had such a good time playing that. Uh, I believe I gushed over it more in the Torpedo episodes. If you want to check that out and check out the gush and the whole Persona discussion that we had, you can go check out that episode. But yeah, Persona 5 Royal. I never played a Persona or Shin Megami Tensei. Okay, no, I lied. I, this was my second ever Shin Megami Tensei spinoff type game where the first one I played was uh, Tokyo Mirage Sessions. Okay, yeah. The mix with the Fire Emblem yeah. stuff for the Wii U. Yeah, uh, I played the Switch version, so it was Tokyo Mirage Sessions Sharp FE Encore. Yeah, I've, I actually have a copy of that, but I haven't gone through it. I, I got decent. I, I think I got decently far in it. Like, I don't know how many chapters the game has, but I got to chapter four, I think, four or five. So I got relatively far, far in it. Uh, and then it's like, oh, hey, you know that upgrade system of your weapons in, like, Fire Emblem games? Well, guess what? You don't, you, you don't have to do it just once. You have to do it, like, multiple times. And I'm like, no, my completionist ass can't handle this! And then the game just went into the backlog. <laughs> yep, basically. Um, I'll probably pick it up again. Because um, it, it is, like, a very unique game, and it has some pretty dope tunes if you're into J-pop. Which I am, uh, so it's got it. It's definitely like a game that I'll definitely like go back to soon. I don't know when. Like I still have so many other games I want to get through, but I'll probably play it again to finish it one day. I say that now, but <laughs> it, it probably will stay in the backlog for at least another couple of years. Yeah, probably. Um, so with. Uh, JRPGs, uh, it all re- it really comes down to like the fran- a franchise that you might play within it. So, what are some aspects? Uh, pick a f- pick one of your uh, fa- more f- uh, preferred or favorite uh, series. What are some aspects of those games that you're glad changed over the game's ev- uh, evolution in the series? So, I myself, even though like I actually consider myself a really big turn based fan. Um, I'm actually kind of glad that we have also evolved that, that like there's other kinds of combat in those games since it's actually kind of fun to have variety. And even within the um, the same turn-based genre, there's like different aspects. I don't know if you've ever played the Bravely Default series, but that brings up some change into the turn-based 
uh, kind of combat. I've only watched the trailers for those games. Never actually picked one up myself. Um, well, so basically, like, to make a quick summary about it, so basically in your turn, you basically have, like, two options, or if you don't count, like, items or running away. So you could either bravely or default. And if you default, it's basically as if you would defend, so you take less damage. But you also get, like, a point, so you could use an extra attack on the next turn. So basically, you could... Uh, bravely to use those points and even if it was your first turn and you had no points you could bravely up to four times i believe so you would get four attacks in one turn and basically it was kind of cool to have a different option while doing turn-based wow that's really cool (laughs) dang um i guess for me kind of sticking uh with my kingdom hearts guns i really like how the movement uh, for that combat, open world combat evolved. And uh, just like how, even though flow motion is kind of ass at, at times in Dream Drop Distance, with how they incorporated it into three, it was a lot better. And I enjoy three. Yeah. I, I'm, one, I'm one of those people who really like three. Like, I really enjoyed Kingdom Hearts 3. Um, mostly because I got into the Kingdom Hearts series a year before 3 came out, and I played through all the games within the span of a year. Okay, yeah, that, that probably helps a lot. So it helped a lot of me like not really waiting for 3 that long. Um, but like even as a young kid, like I watched so much gameplay footage for all of the Kingdom Hearts games, like all, and I played Coded on my DS. So... There's of all the Kingdom Hearts games I've never the one that I've never actually played through is Days because I never had that on my DS so that's the only one I can yeah. I, I can't say much about but it I it's still a great franchise and I like how the motion and like combat evolved throughout it. Uh, I haven't really played the Kingdom Hearts games but I've actually seen them all since the same people who I started my JRPG journey with, my cousins used to actually play them a lot. So I have actually seen pretty much all of the games being played. So it has been kind of interesting seeing it change with each game. Yeah. Um, Do you got any uh, advice for people who are on the fence about jumping into these RPG games that are like 80 plus hours? Yeah, so I guess to begin with, um, there's many different kinds of games. Like, I know that Jacuzzi is kind of on the edge of it, but I do believe some people count it as a JRPG. So you could say that even some games that are more like beat-em-ups could technically enter in the JRPG range. So there's really a lot of different kind of JRPGs that are really long that you could try. So one thing could be searching for one that's more of your interest. And another one that I believe is really important is that, well, they are sort of meant to be like completed all the way through. So to get 100% on it and the platinum trophy and the Xbox uh, achievement thing and whatever, you're not really forced to go through everything. If you just want to enjoy the story, you could just play the minimum of it just to get the experience that you wanted. Yeah. Very much, very much true. 
Uh, sadly for me, I'm a completionist through and through, so that's <laughs> never really an option for me. Because I'm just like, <laughs> let's uh, let's play this new game. Oh, it has trophies? Fuck me. 80 and hours later, I'm done. Time to never play that game again. The biggest thing is that, like, in your case, you're probably still committed to it, and you're still probably going to like it. But there's, like, a lot of people that just see a game and see 80 hours to complete. Well, I don't want to play it at all. So maybe those people that are not quite completionists could benefit from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And if you're also going in for the story, also just... It even tells you, like, in the difficulty selection, it's like, hey, you can play it on easy if you want to just focus on the story and blast through things as well. Yeah, it, some of them have some of the best stories I've ever seen, so it's kind of interesting. Like, I know that being that long might be a deterrent for them, but at least in my case, um, the fact that the story is actually long is, like, part of the attraction of the game since it's basically focused on the story. Uh, last question before we move on to the bonus level. What right now is your most anticipated uh, JRPG uh, that hasn't come out yet that's going to come out? So right now I'm actually waiting for uh, Near Replicant, even though I won't really be able to play it. Um, I actually even pre-ordered the White Box Edition. Ooh. Yeah, seeing the... Uh, in the last case, like the Nier Automata, the Black Box Edition, uh, yeah, I actually kind of wanted to buy it at some point, but seeing the current prices, uh, that's not ever going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, and for me, myself, uh, I am looking forward to, I guess, two. One of them is more of the expansion for a game that's already out, which is the Final Fantasy VII Remake Intergrade. Because the Yuffie story. Uh, looking forward to that. Uh, but the second one, honestly, I think I'm probably going to cop uh, the money to get Shin Megami Tensei 3 Nocturne Remake. Oh, that's nice. I, I actually kind of also want to buy it, but I'm still kind of on the fence due to how I, I won't even have the time, though, considering that I won't be able to play Replicant. I might be able to. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, of course, uh, if it's the, from the sound of it, it will be featuring Dante from Devil May Cry. Oh, yeah. It, it actually features Dante, and I do believe they also have the other DLC character that was a replacement for Dante. Ooh, that's really cool. So that's this week in the lounge coming to a close. Moving on, we're going to be continuing our, our talk of JRPGs over in the bonus level. Now accessing the bonus level. And uh, starting the bonus level off with our top five JRPGs that we've played. So, Ponage, uh, start off your top five list. What, are, what do you got? Well, so, in number five, I'd like to say um, I, this is kind of a risky opinion of mine since I haven't really been able to fully complete the game. So um, the same reason why I cannot play Replicant, uh, I cannot quite play Automatus because my GPU just kind of dies trying to play it. So um, I did finish the first ending, which is ending A, and I really like the game. So that would be my number five. Um, but 
yeah, I hope to actually get to finish both games at some point once the GPU shortage ends. All right, number four? Uh, my number four uh, would have to be uh, Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door. Um, it's one of the first JRPGs I played, and I also played it with a friend, so it impacts a lot on my decision. I still have to... I st- That's one of the few... One of the few Mario games I do not have in my GameCube collection. Yeah, I, I don't at least I, like. I really like it, and I can recommend it a lot. It's actually a lot of fun. I've played it at some. Uh, I believe I played it at like a. So my city's airport. Um, I don't think it's. I don't think it's there anymore. But there used to be like a little fun zone for the kids that you could go to, like when you're waiting for like a person to arrive or. Uh, you're departing, but you gotta p- get your kids somewhere before the center or whatever picks them up. And there was a little fun zone that had some little exhibits, and there was two game consoles, uh, game, but both GameCube. One of them had Sun- Mario Sunshine, and the other had Mario and the Thousand Year Door. And that's where I play. That's my, my experience of playing uh, Paper Mario on the Thousand Year Door for like an hour at the airport. <laughs> I mean, it's honestly a lot of fun. It is um, really fun. It's such a fun one. Uh, number three. So for number three, I'd have to say Xenoblade Chronicles. Um, it's a game that I actually didn't quite exactly got to play when it came out. So uh, going a bit back to the uh, topics before, in Latin America, we actually never really got the game since it came over to the U.S. from the Project Rainfall. So... I actually had to play it a couple years later, but it's quite like it's one of my favorites, and it even got me back into the other Sino games. Nice. Number two. So, out of the Persona games and the Shin Megami Tensei series, I'd have to say that Persona 3 is my favorite, even though the combat isn't quite exactly the best, considering that your AI teammates usually use the wrong abilities and the game is actually a lot harder than the modern persona games in my opinion in some ways since it's more like a Shin Megami Tensei game but the story is really one of the best we've ever played yeah I've only I've watched the the persona 3 movies to understand the story because uh the only persona 3 experience I have is persona 3 dancing (laughs) uh... honestly the movies do a decent job at teaching you about the game and they're honestly quite well made yeah they weren't that bad but i, de- I definitely even though i wa- i watched them and i've watched uh the persona 4 animation because i have i can't play f- i don't have the r- console for four or uh, until i get my and i can't play it on steam until i get like a better pc so i had to i watched four as well so the only persona game that i know well is five but like the animation for four i really liked and then when it came to me watching three i'm like I wasn't. I didn't feel as connected to the characters as I did with like the other two. Okay, so quickly out of the top five. Um, so the thing about Persona, the Mother Persona games, is that uh, basically most of the people agree that three has the best story, four has the best characters, and five has the best gameplay. Yeah, that's what I've heard as well. And I honestly, I kind of agree to that because like I've seen gameplay for both four and three, and I'm like, yeah, five definitely has the best combat because like look how far they've been able to come to like evolve it and make it flow so much better obviously yeah, uh, and there, it, there was also a lot of time to develop that yeah um 
And yeah, I absolutely agree that four does have the best characters because it just like the connections that you see them make is such is really good. While the story is, I still like four's story. There isn't much of a story for four. It's more of just their the kids living their life for the most part. Yeah, definitely. And then you just have three, which is like demons. Yep. Uh, so yeah, uh, number one. So as you mentioned before, and as you mentioned at the start, um, my favorite game will probably still be Tales of Symphonia for a long time, since it's what got me into the, the JRPG like uh, genre, and it's also the game that. Um, I actually recently, like back when they added the Steam Remote Play to it, I even went back and got some friends to play through it. So it will probably continue being my favorite game for a long time. Nice. Uh, Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if Tales of Symphonia gets like a remaster soon. I would like to see that. I mean, considering that there's the uh, Symphonia's uh, like continuation on the Wii, done something. Oh yeah, there uh, is. It it probably won't, considering that they probably would have to do both, and the second part is not quite as good and not quite as fondly rem- uh, remembered by many. Then maybe they can fix it. <laughs> <laughs> they just re they, they make they port the first game or not they deify the first game and then they just rebuild the second game. <laughs> hey, there's always a chance, I guess. Exactly. Where there's a will, there's a way. As for my top five JRPGs that I've played, uh, I decided I uh, number five, Kingdom Hearts two. I I I love Kingdom Hearts 2 the most out of like all the Kingdom Hearts games and it was the first KH game that I platinumed. So it it's just I love that one so much and that's where it goes for my number 5. At number 4 Final Fantasy 7 remake. Okay. I, I don't, and mostly because I don't hold much of a connection to the Final Fantasy games as Final Fantasy VII Remake was my very first Final Fantasy game. Uh, but, oh my god, it was such a good story. And for me to experience the story of Final Fantasy VII, or at least part of the story, like with the graphics and all of the cinematics that it gave us, oh. Yeah, and also the combat was hella fun when you, like, when you know what you're doing in that game for combat, it's just so cool. It's just so cool, and it flows so well. At number three, Yakuza Like a Dragon. Uh, specifically that one, because honestly, I consider the all the other Yakuza games as like a proper beat-em-up style game more than an RPG. While yeah, you do level up it. here and there, it's like... It has RPG mechanics, but I don't see it as like a full RPG type game. I see it as more of like a beat 'em up with u- uber loads of mini games scattered within it. Yeah, it, it's just like if you had the fifty plus mini games kind of games. Well, that's Yakuza, but that's just like an extra on the game. Yeah, basically. So with like a dragon, you have those mini games, but it's the combat is also more turn based oriented, which is why I put that at number three at number two persona five 
again, I, I, it's very re- it's a, one of the more recent games that I've completed, uh, with me completing it earlier this year, and it's just a blast. It was just it was such a blast to play through that. Um, and I'm gonna be I'm still riding that Persona high, and I still need to play more Strikers because I've only re- ju- like for how long the game's been out now, I've only gotten through the first pal. Uh, it's jail. So. I mean- it's 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 a really different game. So oh yeah, it's it's it's, it's, a, it's a it's a a warriors game. So it's it's a warriors game with the persona mechanics, and it's it's, it's good. It's great, but it's very different. And uh, also, I'm I I I don't know why I'm not I'm, it's, I'm not getting bored of the game, but it's like I'm having bored spurts while I'm playing the game. So it's definitely causing me to my time to go elsewhere um but my number one my top jrpg dragon quest 11 that's honestly a great game i never actually finished it but it's really fun from what i played so i technically have not finished a game as i have not beaten the true final boss i'm at the true final boss have not beaten him and i stopped playing the game but I put in like 120 hours into that game. So, even though I have not completed it, it is my favorite JRPG that I've played to date because of just how I love the story that it gave. I loved like the little twist like at the middle of the game uh, where, spoiler alert, uh, briefly, brief spoiler, you fucking lose and you know the world ends, kind of. And uh, it, it was just so good. Such a good game. Yeah, the the combat is also really fun, and it's honestly quite enjoyable to explore in that game. Yeah, it very much is. Um, so that's top five. Moving on to this week in gaming history. For the week of March 29th to April 4th. Uh, here's what happened in the past. On the 29th in the year 2000, Capcom released Resident Evil Code Veronica on the Dreamcast. On the 30th, in 2004, Capcom released another Resident Evil game, Resident Evil Outbreak, for the PlayStation 2 in North America. In 2001, on the 31st, Sega halted production of the Dreamcast. On the 1st, in 1994, Super Metroid was released for the NES in North America. On the 2nd, uh, 19 in 1998, the 10 millionth PlayStation 1 was sold in, in North America. On April 3rd in 2009, the DSi was released in Europe. And on April 4th in 2017, Persona 5 was released for the PlayStation 3 and PlayStation 4 in North America. Very fitting. Yep. <laughs> what a fitting ending there. What a fitting ending. Yes. When I was looking at things, I'm like, oh, no way. That's definitely going in for this week's episode. Um, for the achievement of the week, uh, it's in it's It Takes Two. Uh, minigame Megalomania, which is to find every minigame within the game. The game to look out for, Outriders, is what I'm giving it to. And here is this week's Chicken Update. Hello, this is Michael outside your local Popeyes because they told me they ran out of chicken. 
I mean, how how does a chicken restaurant run out of chicken? I don't get it. Like, how? How, how does that happen? Thanks for that, Mike. Uh, thank you, Potnage, for coming on the podcast. Yeah, no problem, actually. Thanks for having me. It's, it was really fun. Yeah. Uh, where can we find you on the internet? So, even though I don't quite really stream more than once a month, um, you can find me in my Twitch, which... Rather than saying it, um, I guess I could probably um, say it letter by letter, which would be XX underscore P-N-A-G-E underscore XX. Um, and probably lurking at either Emerald's or Don's channel. Yes. Uh, and of course, you can find me over on Instagram, Twitch, and TikTok at Tony's Game Lounge. And over on Twitter at Radio Tony. Uh, over on Twitch, we stream, or we try to stream, every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Uh, and uh, we haven't posted a TikTok since I announced that we have one last week. So yeah, uh, but go follow it. You know, help me reach the 100 million followers. <laughs> God. God. Okay. Uh, thank you once again, Ponage, for coming on. It was a blast to talk about JRPGs and learn a bit more about the world in video games. Yeah, no problem. And thank you, the listener, for tuning in. And we will see all of you next week in the Game Lounge. Thank you for listening to Tony's Game Lounge. You can find all social media links in the episode description. Be sure to follow the podcast on your streaming platform for new episodes. And follow Tony's Game Lounge on Instagram, Twitter, and Twitch for weekly updates.